Hello, and welcome to the monthly Cefesa President's Podcast. My name is Kirby Mallon, and I am the current president of Cefesa. Today, we have with us Joe Carbonara. Joe is the editorial director at Food Service Equipment and Supplies, better known as FES Mag. Joe, welcome. Hey, Kirby. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to you, Joe, uh, about uh, the ongoings in the industry, uh, specifically to try to get uh, a different perspective uh, for our viewers. Uh, as you probably know, our viewers are uh, mostly Cefesa members, whether they're owners or executive team or even dispatchers. Uh, so um, that is our audience and, and, and the audience, we welcome you. And uh, Joe, let's start off with, um, as I said the other day on the phone, don't really want to talk about the past anymore. I mean, I don't want to talk about COVID, but I think it's going to creep in as we discuss what's going to happen in the future, or we speculate what what we think is going to happen in the future. And that's kind of what I wanted to go, Joe. Um, and I guess the first topic I wanted to discuss with you was the issue with the supply ch uh, chain uh, issues that we're having right now, whether it's for parts or equipment and all that stuff. Yeah. Supply chain is a huge, huge issue in the food service industry right now. Um, it's a big issue on food, you know, where operators are having a hard time getting, you know, chicken and other forms of protein or other ingredients to do it. And, it, and it's going all the way into the food service equipment and supply segment. Um, we're seeing all sorts of challenges. Uh, manufacturers are talking about all sorts of challenges at the moment uh, as it relates to being able to source raw materials, being able to source component parts um, like computer boards or microchips and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and even getting, you know, something as simple as wood or wire to, to bail and, and, and crate up equipment. And it's, it's got to be trickling into, into the parts component. Are you starting to see more conversation around parts? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, that's interesting. You just mentioned uh, wood and, uh, and pallet material. I would have never thought that, uh, you know, something as small as that could could stop you from shipping equipment, right? I don't have a pallet. Can't put my oven on a pallet. Can't ship it to you. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny, you know, you, you, I agree with, you know, when we talked about, you know, having this conversation, you know, your point is I don't want to look back at what's happened. And I agree. But what's happened over the past 12 months is shaping the moment right now. So you've seen an amazing boom in housing, for example. And we've heard we've heard people talk about lumber being four or five times more expensive than it was. We're seeing issues where we're, our economy is starting to reopen, but we're still having issues getting product in from other ports. You know, there was such a delay getting things in through the ports in California, for example, for any product that was sourced from Asia. Um, that product, you know, the, that port, the state didn't designate those um, people that were working in the ports as um, as essential workers for quite some time. So that port was only moving at 25 percent capacity. So that meant there were literally hundreds of cargo ships off the off the coast. We're starting to see it get, I think, a little bit better, but I think we're in for a, a bigger, pro a longer stretch of supply chain issues in terms of getting in product from from overseas, you know, from from uh, international markets uh, for getting um, being able to mine the raw materials. Um, and I, I think it's important, you know, to look at this here for a second and kind of kind of quote some stuff that NAFM just did a great study of its members. And 60% of the NAFM members uh, said that they're experiencing supply chain issues. Uh, no surprising, the top three were supply shortages, shipping costs increasing, and international shipping delays. Um, I've heard various manufacturers say that steel prices are 40 to 60% higher 
than they were just a short time ago. Lead, yeah, lead times on products have gone from four to six weeks to 12 to 16 weeks. Then the shortages are just all over. So it's a huge issue. Plastics, you know, any issue that affects petroleum right now is affecting plastics. And it's also affecting, when you look at equipment, it's affecting um, uh, the insulation that would go into something in refrigeration. Anything that's petroleum-based when they make it, they're having all sorts of in, all sorts of issues. And this really impacts op, uh, manufacturers' ability to control costs, to be able to meet deadlines, and to be able to interact with you guys to get you the component parts and other other items that, that service agents might need to fix equipment. So it's it's a pretty widespread, pretty pervasive problem within the industry. And we're going to deal with this, you know, depending on which estimates you're listening to, this could go all the way through the second quarter. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sitting here in my own little world. And um, after we talked the other day, I went back and looked. And as far as I could tell, we have about we had about $40,000 in lost revenue last month with uh, jobs in progress that we couldn't complete because the parts are back order. Now, if you think about it, Joe, and you know, we, we send a technician out to troubleshoot it, says it needs a widget. And uh, I've paid that technician for that time. I've not billed a customer for it because I have to get the widget and I have to install it. So uh, I talked to a friend of mine, a uh, bigger company, Cefesa member, and his number was much higher, about 120,000 in lost revenue. So we're unable to ramp up because of this, the, we can't get parts. Uh, and it just trickles down, as you said. And, and you're in, you know, you're, 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 what you're experiencing, Kirby, what the Sebasta members, you know, that you've talked with, you know, have had similar experience or experience is exactly what you're seeing your brethren in the dealer community deal with. Your factories are dealing with, the reps are dealing with it. It's a, it's a whole equipment and ENS supply chain issue because dealers, even if, you know, projects that were put on hold, for example, if they finally get reactivated, if they can't get the equipment, you know, that's a problem. Operators who have been shut down for a while, specifically in the non-commercial industry, um, thinking B&I and, and some college stuff that, that might be shut down, that might be looking to reactivate and come back online. They're going to need service from you guys. There might need to be some part replacement and that sort of stuff. If you guys can't get it and make that happen, you know, to, to bring that equipment back on, I just think it's an issue that, that, everybody is is having right now it's interesting you mentioned that um i didn't foresee the fact that when uh, a restaurateur calls us and says hey guess what we're reopening next week uh great news come come start up all of our equipment you know make sure it's all working properly um and what uh, has happened is um unintentional or i should not uh, it's not the right word um unexpected expenses so we were rolling into these kitchens and finding, you know, gaskets are all dry rotted. Uh, internal gaskets are dry rotted and, and gas valves and uh, lots of issues. All the water filters uh, are um, need to be replaced. Uh, so we're typically walking out, spending, uh, invoicing that customer a couple thousand dollars to get his equipment up and running, which they obviously weren't expecting. The typical restaurant tour uh, is having their own problems in their own. You just mentioned the food shortages and, and to have that on top of everything else. Uh, and now uh, globally, uh, or at least in the United States, whether you're a service company, a, a construction business, no one can find any help. It's, uh, it's fascinating uh, that we would have, you know, we're just, the punches just keep coming, Joe. 
They do. You know, operators right now, your your main customers, Kirby, are getting hit on so many different fronts. Yes, things are absolutely looking better, but there's still challenges that remain. You know, not Texas and Florida and some of those places that are open 100% are still pretty much the exception. We're getting closer to having more places open 100, more states open 100%. Um, if everything continues to go well here in my home state of Illinois, we'll be back at 100% within four weeks from now, which will be wonderful news. But right now, operators, even though they're reopening, they're still doing it at limited capacity, which affects their ability to generate cash. Opening is going to cost them more because, you know, there's still some safety precautions they have to put in place. And then you talk about the labor issue. Even if you're able to find someone that's qualified, that's willing to come work for you, you're paying more either on a per hour basis. McDonald's just announced um, that they're getting ready. They're going to pay above minimum wage, which I think they've been doing in some instances for a while, but they're going to start paying, I think, a lot more. Um, I've heard a lot of places talking about, you know, uh, retention bonuses now for staff or even recruitment bonuses. If I'm working at a place and I bring somebody in, um, you know, they'll give me 50 or 100 bucks or 200 bucks. And if that person stays 90 days, the employee get a little bit more. So the labor costs are just going up, up, up. Um, and, and, and it's a it, it's a challenge, you know. So between that, the operating costs and getting that piece of equipment, you know, it, in, whether it's getting it installed back up and running, it's costing more. Even for projects that have been sitting, you know, I, I've had conversations with folks where projects that kind of got paused, maybe they quoted a new draft system or an ice maker back in October or November. Well, because of the the, the nature of the price increases and, and the labor situations that the industry has faced, you know, it's not as simple as saying, hey, yeah, I'm ready to buy that piece now. It's going to cost more and it might take you longer to get it. So labor costs, it's, it's a whole big stew right now that the industry is trying to trying to mix up and deal with. Right. That's not going to change until at least September, in my, in my opinion. I would agree with you. I mean, I would think by then we're going to start seeing some stuff change a little bit. You know, we're hearing uh, in, in a lot of places, specifically a lot of businesses in New York City, which I know isn't too far from where you're at. You know, a lot of the bigger corporate employers are calling their people back. They're saying right after Labor Day, they'll start bringing it back. Uh, but even then, it's not going to be like they're just going to flip the switch and everyone's coming back. Um, I've heard different employers, even a guy in Florida, for example, uh, talked about how in the third quarter, it'll be 25% of their employees back on campus working. And then, this, and then in the fourth quarter, it'll be 50%. And then in the first quarter of 2022, they'll be at 75% of their employees. But for them, 75% will be their new 100%. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of changes. You'll see some trickling back in and not everybody's bringing everyone back to work. But what the reason back to work is so important for food service is it busies us up. It, it, it speeds our days a little bit more. It gets us out moving and it gets consumers. It makes consumers want and need the convenience that food service can provide, whether that's the coffee shop on the way to the office, um, running kids from point A to point B, need to pick up a quick something in the drive through um, any of those sorts of things. It just kind of accelerates the whole channel, which would be which will be positive for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was reading your article uh, in one of your latest magazines, uh, Putting Technology to Work for You. Uh, interesting that you quote uh, the uh, service technician in there, the service company. Um, you're talking about the fact that we were uh, doing, having Zoom meetings and uh, you're unable to have in-person demos. And uh, you're right that a, 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 a restaurateur, if he's buying an expensive piece of equipment, needs to uh, test their product in that oven to see if it's the right purchase. And um, 
it's funny you say, would you rather have a ser service agent who only watched a few videos or one who had hands-on training fixing your combi oven or dishwasher? And uh, interesting point, right? I mean, we're having that conversation now with our technicians. And the fear is that we've had 14 months of no hands-on training. Uh, is that going to cause um, some kind of issue with, uh, for instance, first call fix? Uh, in our industry, uh, the the Cefesa Master Certified Companies typically sit up, sit at or above 85% first call fix, as we do here at Elmer Schultz. Uh, and my fear is that these technicians haven't had that hands-on training for such a long time, especially the new guys, that we're going to have a window of missed opportunity that we're going to have to try to get back. Yeah, it's a it's a skill. You know, there, there's a reason that prior to the pandemic, that Cefesa members, you know, really did a great job of training and retraining their employees. Um, and I think I think that being able to go in and assess a piece of equipment and fix it and and and, and do the things that 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 your members that Cefesa members do that your techs do, Kirby. It's a skill, no different than hitting a golf ball or hitting a baseball or, or any of those sorts of things. You know what I mean? Um, and, and those skills can atrophy over time. So you got to figure out a way to keep them sharp. That's one of the reasons why you kept sending them to training all the time. The other reason is that the, the technology changes. I think the one thing that you have working at your advantage is that there wasn't a ton of new stuff installed over the past 12 to 14 months. So some of this is going to be pretty familiar. And I think that that'll be helpful for, for some of the techs that I think are going back out there. But there's no substitute for being there. You're going to have to get back hands on with training and you have to get back hands on in front of people. I think there's a way to bridge some of this right now um, by being more active with them and pro or proactive, maybe a better term on the phone when you're planning these service calls, finding out what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're doing. Right. Uh, do you see any codes on there? That sort of thing. Um, just those little things that that it that were becoming a main part of what techs were doing before the slowdown, um, just to be more prepared when you walk in that door. Absolutely. I know at the, uh, at Cefes's, uh, world headquarters and global training facility, uh, we're almost booked up for all the classes. In fact, we had to add additional classes because, you know, now that we're all getting vaccinated, uh, the owners, uh, Cefesa member owners are spending the money to send the technicians to be, to have the hands-on training, which is good. Good. Yeah, I, I it it's it's being I, I just sorry to step on you there, uh, Kirby, but I think that you know the, the fact that Cefesa members have always it, the fact that Cefesa members have always supported training the way they do is one of the things I've admired about the organization and its members. Um, there's just no substitute for it. it. It's a great example of how you reinvest in your business, in your people, because your people really are your product when they're out there. You know repairing, installing, working with, advising people. I mean, your people are your product and that knowledge, that that knowledge from training and the experience of doing, you know, in the, uh, out in the community, there's just no, there's no substitute for it. It just gives you an aura of, of, of well-earned authority. And I think it's pretty awesome. Mm, thank you for that. And I, I agree hundred uh, percent. We say all the time, you're only as good as your last service call and people don't realize what it takes to get a technician into a kitchen and successfully fix a piece of equipment. Like you just mentioned, Joe, it takes uh, extensive training. It takes the right tools. It takes a truck that's not going to break down. It takes, you know, a uniform. So he looks and represents the company the way you want it to. 
uh, has got to have the right parts on the truck. He's got to be able to troubleshoot it properly uh, and install the part and get it up and running. And all all while the chef is you know splashing hot grease on him. Uh, I've uh, I used to be a technician and found uh, how stressful it is when you walk into a working kitchen and you have to concentrate on troubleshooting when this is all happening around you. It's it's quite fascinating. Yeah, it's. I, I can't even begin to imagine, but it's uh, it, it's an art, and there's there's a lot that goes into it. Joe, you mentioned technology. Uh, let's switch gears and uh, let's talk a little bit about technology. That's what you wrote your article about. I do want to uh, uh, quote you one more time. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Technology works for you, not the other way around. I've never heard anybody say that. That's uh, that's interesting concept. Do you can you expand on that? Yeah, I think in our society today, you know, we're we're quick to 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 chase technology if you will the latest app comes out the latest iphone's out we're lining up we're sleeping out we're doing all that sorts of things and i love it you know i mean i you know iphones are great ipads are awesome you know all the technology that's out there it's pretty cool it brings us closer together um it's enabling us to have this conversation right you know you're in pennsylvania i'm in chicago or you know that sort of thing so it, it's great but at the end of the day the application has to meet your business need for it to be right for you there's a million applications, there's a million software tools and, and tech, you know, just various forms of technology out there. If they don't help you make your business better, if they don't help you become more effective and efficient, then it's probably not the right tool for you. It doesn't mean it's a bad tool, it just doesn't mean it's right for you. So you have to stop take, chasing technology and figuring out what can technology do for you? How can it make your business more effective and efficient? And I think once we start doing that, I think as a, as a company, you know, as, as an industry and as a as individual companies, I think they'll start really taking off all the more. Hmm. That's a, that's a great way to look at it, Joe. I've uh, often thought the same thing um, when I'm looking at return on investment. Uh, years ago, probably 10 or 15 years ago, Cephasta uh, members would say, oh, I'm, I'm paperless. Oh, yeah, I'm paperless. What does that mean? So the technicians all have tablets and uh, at some point they had a printer in the truck and they had to have a DC converter to print it the service sheet to give to the customer and it, it 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 seemed to me it was the return on investment wasn't there and there was no added value to the end user uh we recently during uh the slow period we just went through which is the first time ever in 30 years uh, we took the opportunity to uh, look at all of our processes that we have in place and question all of them as well as updating all hardware and software and I'm really glad we did that. Uh, we just rolled out, or, or we're actually currently rolling out the latest version of tablets to our technicians. It's fascinating. They, you know, taking pictures right from the same app, uh, uploading all kinds of information. Uh, they have they have the the entire history of that piece of equipment in front of them on the tablet. A lot of times they'll they'll go in to work on an oven, and what they want to know is who worked on it last and what did they do to it. And now they have that information at their fingertips. So technology, uh, I, I often say you have to embrace technology. Uh, do not dread technology, which is kind of pretty much what you were saying, Joe. Yeah, and, and that's a great example of putting technology to work for you because but it, you can't always have the same tech go to the same client all the time. So now, you know, if you were in before me, I can go in and say, oh, look at Kirby, Kirby's notes. It said we need to do this and this next time we come through or check this. It was running hot. And then you can notice that something's out of out of you know range or something like that you know for for two or three visits in a row might be indication of a bigger problem time to make maybe it's a replace a piece of equipment maybe it's replace a part or you know that sort of thing 
you're just enhancing the value you bring to your customers and your business is becoming more efficient and effective. And I think that's just huge. Hmm. Again, uh, with us today is Joe Carbonara, uh, Food Service Equipment and Supplies uh, Editorial Director, um, uh, talking about technology. Uh, and, and I want to talk a little bit about security and connectivity as far as technology in our industry, because we've just all witnessed uh, the gas um, uh, company uh, pipeline that got hacked and shut down for a week, which caused all kinds of issues and, and, and shortages of fuel. Uh, are you at all concerned? Have you had any uh, discussions with anybody about uh, the future of connectivity and specifically security in, in commercial cooking equipment? interesting because this is the concept of connectivity and commercial cooking equipment is not a new one, but it's really coming up a lot in conversations today. I'll go back to the late 90s when NAFM's Technology Liaison Committee developed what they called the first NAFM data protocol, which was really a way to connect different pieces of equipment, connect it to POS and do all these things that we're talking about a lot right now. And, and it never it never really caught on, and it didn't catch on for a variety of reasons over the years. Some of them were data security issues, um, or just even maybe concerns that weren't even real. But the larger corporations, you know, were really concerned about it. In some instances, you know, you look at the chains, and, and usually they're the ones that might drive some type of this this type of adoption. And you look at the chains, and, and they have so many things that they have, so many data points, and so many different things that they have to manage particularly if they're franchised and kicked back up to the mothership, um, that to them, sometimes this wasn't really, really worth it. Uh, so it's been around for a long time. It's starting to gain some more um, some, some more notoriety of late. Um, in terms of security, I think it's going to be a big issue. I think security is going to be a huge issue in non-commercial. Um, when you look at you know healthcare systems, for example, or colleges and universities, if you can worm your way into that, you know, you're getting into a healthcare system, let's say through um, through a piece of commercial cooking equipment. You know, some of these guys are pretty smart. What if they're able to to get to health to get to people's private medical records and that sort of stuff? So it's a it's a big issue. Um, it's an issue operators are definitely asking about, but I haven't heard exactly how they're how they're resolving that issue. You know, at this point in time, we've seen a bunch of manufacturers um, come out lately with you know more apps that that allow operators to do more things on their phone. But the information that's available there is pretty, pretty benign. You know, is an oven or a refrigerator staying at temperature? Are you shifting it from cook to hold mode? You know, that sort of thing is probably not something that a data hacker is going to be too interested in. I think there are some really, really good benefits. I think the two biggest benefits in my, in my opinion, are number one, figure out a way to manage uptime. You know, nobody wants their piece of equipment to go down. And I think if you can work, if this technology can help you manage uptime, I think that's a really good thing. I think the second thing is with food safety or HACCP reporting. We can get away from the clipboards and we can get away from the pens and, and people walking around with, you know, with holding thermometers and taking temperatures. Well, I think that's a really important thing. If we can automate some of that stuff, I think it, it'll have a, a more positive impact. On and um, all that should be kind of managed by exception. In other words, uh, the amp draw on that oven is, should be below 12. When the amp draw gets above 12, I, I, the servicer, gets an alert. And the alert tells me, up oh, there's something wrong with that oven. Now, that adds value, right? So that that's something that adds value. And you're talking about technology that is not, the, the return on investment is not there yet or has not been. And I think we're close to 
uh, that changing where it does add value to the end user. Well, I agree with you. And I think one of the things that where it's going to help, I think a little bit is we, we touched on labor a couple different times in this conversation. And I think when we, it's going to help with labor a little bit, you're not going to be able to dedicate somebody to walk around and, and, and check temperature or check some of that sort of stuff. So anything that an operator can automate and, and generate an alert on a, on a, on a smartphone or a tablet or in a back office somewhere where someone might be working from, I, I think that's going to be, I, I think operators are going to be more open to that moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I know that the operators uh, should be concerned. Uh, uh, you mentioned the, the target hack the other day uh, that uh, happened and it wasn't target. Was it Joe? No, they, they came in. Uh, this is, this is going back a number of years now, but you know, this is, the first really notable, you know, data breach where they were able to come in, I believe it was through an HVAC and, you know, credit card info got compromised and, and, and all sorts of stuff. We're going to see, we're going to see people continue to be really resourceful and creative in their ability to try to attack um, data, attack networks, attack big companies. And I think the bigger the company, the bigger the target, the more people are going to try, try and go after it. So, you know, data, it, and, and security are just going to become more and more important as we move forward. Yes, I agree hundred percent. In fact, um, we just, um, got a quote from a company to do what they call a pen penetration test, whereas they're going to try to hack into our server. So it's a honest hacker, uh, that we're going to pay for him to come in and try to get into our server and find any possible breaches and then obviously we would fix them. Interesting, right? That's a, really interesting. And I think, uh, you know, smart to try and be able to figure that out. Um, you know, and just to tell you how, how much this is here to stay, you know, there's, there's big companies now pay 25,000 a year in insurance, you know, law firms or, or maybe some others might pay more, but they're paying, you know, a decent chunk of change in insurance each year to deal with things like ransomware. You know, so when it comes in and they get you know, the ransomware shows up, they have their insurance policy, pay them. And, and in no time at all, they, they've, they've lost little to no time. But for them, it's, you know, it's 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 important. So I just I don't think this is going away anytime soon. Right. Well, it's also the downtime. I mean, if you uh, if a hacker comes in and takes control of your a server, uh, whether you pay the ransom or not, you're down for two or three or four days. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then getting that money back, right? That's a really hard thing to do, if at all. Right. You, well, you don't get it back. I mean, uh, you know, a snow day or, or um, you know, typically up in the Northeast, that's what would cause us to shut down for a day. But you don't get that money back. Those people don't go out to eat dinner. Uh, they don't go out the next day instead. They just, you know, you just keep going. So restaurants lose out on that. And um, so that'd be interesting to see how that uh, moves forward, Joe. Uh, la last subject I have for you, Joe, I, I do want to be cognizant of our time. Uh, is the the issue uh, not the issue, but the uh, what's happening in our industry now with consolidations? Uh, I've, obviously, I'm seeing it on the server side. Uh, what are you seeing? What are you seeing, and what are you hearing? Consolidation, you know, it, it's never really gone away in this industry. Um, you know, this year so far, since the since January first, we've seen we've seen four, you know, four deals within within the food service industry. You know, the first one, uh, the most recent one, I should say, and the one that's got everyone buzzing is Middleby's acquisition of, uh, of Wellbuilt. But then you saw um, in the equipment, you know, the manufacturing community earlier this year, Ali Group bought Cold Draft. 
Um, the dealer side, we saw Singer by Thompson and Little. And then even in the tech space that relates to the industry, you know, Spaceman uh, bought BDE Innovation. So Spaceman, you know, bringing in, acquiring an IoT kind of an Internet of Things company. So we're seeing it slow right now, I think, in 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 all you know, in various parts of the, of the industry. Um, I, I think that as we get into that third and fourth quarter, there is potential for the for the time to be ripe for more, um, you know, for 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 more um, for more mergers and more acquisition activity. It could be, you know, what we've seen, like if you look at the Middleby Wellbuilt thing, for example, or even the, the, the Singer Thompson Little, you know, Middleby Wellbuilt, two of the biggest manufacturers in the industry, Singer and Thompson Little, those are two of the top 100 food service equipment supplies dealers in the country. So the big are getting bigger. So that means that people, you know, people farther down the food chain are going to have to figure out how do they insulate themselves or protect themselves against the scale and the influence of the scale that some of these companies have. I do think that if you start getting to September, October, you know, you're looking at some of these businesses now, whether it's a dealership or whether it's a factory or even an operator for that matter, you know, they're going to have six, six months of, of, of should be good, clean books that are showing uh, an upward trajectory in terms of sale. And people could start to look to get out. You know, one of the things that we learned over the, the past 12 to 14 months is everyone's appetite for risk and how they interpret and perceive risk varies greatly. There could be some people within this segment who are saying, you know what, that's enough. I've restored the value of my business. I can get out while I can. It's time for me to go go hit the golf course. So I, I think we could see we could see some more coming for sure. Agreed. And also, um, you know, the current tax laws um, are in favor of, of um, selling a business right now as opposed to what might happen in a year's time. Uh, and also, um, if now we see inflation creeping up out of nowhere. Uh, and interest rates, right? So they kind of follow each other. So that could be a driving force also that would uh, probably have uh, pr uh, consolidation happen quick, sooner rather than later. But as soon as that inflation and interest rates kind of lock in, I wonder if it'll slow down at that point. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I wonder as well. Up until now, money's been cheap, right? So financing some of these deals has made sense. Um, consumers have Consumers have learned quite a bit. Um, over the years uh, and gotten better about, about saving. And I think you can say that about a lot of the businesses in the food service industry. So many of them are, are privately held businesses. And in calling around early in the pandemic, you know, I heard that, you know, a lot of, uh, for example, smaller dealers were in really good position because they weren't very leveraged. You know, they didn't have a ton of debt. They were better than some of the other bigger ones that might have been carrying a ton of debt. Um, and the, the conversation within the manufacturing community was mixed. You know, some had to make some deep, very painful cuts. Other more private companies were able to to weather some of this based on the fact that, you know, their shareholders might have been just their employees or their shareholders might be just, you know, a family that was doing it. So the, the private, uh, there are so many small family run private businesses within, you know, the food service equipment and supply sector that makes this an even more interesting dynamic. Well, that's true in the service business. Uh, a typical CFSA member uh, Joe uh, is somewhere between three and five million, which is relatively small company, uh, with uh, thirty, you know, around thirty employees is kind of the average. Uh, that's kind of right where, where Elmer Schultz is, my company, and uh, we didn't lay off a single person during COVID, uh, which we were very thankful. But the the bigger the bigger companies typically did because of the reasons you just spoke of. 
uh, but uh, interesting. Yeah, and, and and within certain, yeah, and it's an interesting thing. I, and kudos to you, Kirby, because there's a lot of companies could have very easily just pulled the plug, furloughed, or did. And I, I had the the opportunity to to talk to a variety of Cefesa members over the course of the pandemic about how they were handling it, you know, and and. I always just appreciate the candor and how honest you know everyone is from the Sebastian membership when when we talk. Um, but looking at specifically at, at at mergers and acquisitions, there aren't a ton of companies like we've seen over the recent years. We've seen some regional combinations within the Sebastian community, and we've seen one or two companies that are buying big. But we haven't seen it, anything to the the merger, the acquisition activity. It hasn't been anywhere similar to what we've seen in the dealer community, where you see like a Trimark that's got, you know, um, Trimark that's got dealers from coast to coast. You know, we, we haven't seen anything like that. We've seen a couple companies within the Sebastian community buy in different markets that weren't contiguous. But for the most part, the, the, the expansion seems to be pretty, pretty contiguous. Um, and, and I think it's a natural evolution of the businesses, which is why I think probably why it's working at a more deliberate pace and probably why it's working out a little bit better in this community than maybe others. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Joe, uh, that's all I, uh, all the questions I have for you today. And I, I do really appreciate you spending time with us on our, uh, on the, the monthly Cefesa podcast. Um, again, I'm Kirby Mal, the president of Cefesa. And uh, today we have with us Joe Carbonaro uh, from FES mag. Uh, Joe, uh, how could people, if they have any questions, how, how would they get in touch with you, Joe? Yeah, Kirby, thanks for the opportunity to be here today. And it's always great to, to do things and support us at FESA. I love being, I love talking with you. I love talking with your members. It's a wonderful organization. Anybody who wants to reach out to us, um, you know, you can find our, our website. It's FESMAG.com. You're welcome to shoot me an email. Uh, it's Joe, J-O-E at Zumba Group, Z-O-O, M as in Michael, B as in boy, A-G-R-O-U-P.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at F-E-S underscore editor. Excellent. Thanks for your time today, Joe. Really appreciate it. Thank you.